Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Once again, it's great to have you back. If you caught the inaugural podcast last week, welcome back. And if you're new, welcome. The basic premise of the show is to explore ideas and debates that go beyond what is considered permissible in the mainstream space. This week, we'll go into a topic where I've spent a lot of time writing and thinking about in my weekly column for the National Post, and it has everything to do with COVID-19 vaccines and mandates and all of the rules and regulations that continue to hamper our everyday lives. While much of the rest of the world seems to have moved on from the pandemic, here in Canada, we seem to be in a perpetual state of crisis. Most provinces have lifted vaccine mandates and uh, mass mandates. Ontario will soon be lifting its mass mandates for public transit and hospitals. But the federal government continues to be an outlier, even within Canada, in sticking to its vaccine and mass mandates for everything that falls under its jurisdiction, which is the international border, domestic and international travel, and of course, federal workplaces. So today we'll explore whether the federal government has some secret information that no one else does, whether these vaccine mandates that they continue to insist on make any sense. Also, we'll look into the discussion on boosters, because some experts are now suggesting that we need to mandate boosters. Uh, Before long, some other experts will come along and say that we need to mandate a fourth booster or fifth booster, thereby putting us on an endless carousel of boosters. Naturally, of course, this will make Big Pharma happy, but does that make any sense for us? Also, Canada and the U.S. are two of the only Western nations that I'm aware of that don't recognize recovery from infection as being equivalent to vaccination. Yet, science tells us that natural immunity is as old as time itself, sometimes even better than the vaccine. To discuss all of this and more, I'm very excited to introduce you to my guest, Dr. Suman Chakrabarti. Dr. Chakrabarti is an infectious diseases specialist based out of Toronto. In a space which has been dominated by so many so-called experts who have been fear-mongering and politicizing everything from lockdowns to vaccinations to the mandates, Dr. Chakrabarti stands out as a voice of common sense and reasoning, uh, where he bases his expert opinion on the science and the evidence. Suman, welcome welcome to the show. Um, so let's just jump right into the question that, questions that I have. It's very clear from the evidence, evidence from around the world, and something that I've written about quite extensively in my National Post column, that immunity acquired from vaccination uh, wanes over time. Uh, British data, for example, speaks to this. It shows that the efficacy of the original two-dose series is now basically zero. Uh, something even Dr. Teresa Tam, our chief medical officer of health, uh, has spoken about recently. Um, there's a Spanish study which just came out a few days ago, which shows that boosters are 51% effective at protecting you from infection uh, for a grand total of 34 days after getting the shot. Um, and after that, I suspect that we should expect this to also go down to zero. So this naturally brings us to a discussion on boosters. Um, is it fair to say that at some point, uh, someone who has a booster is basically like someone who is unvaccinated unless they're on a carousel of boosters, so they're on their fourth shot, fifth shot, or whatever? Um, what is your take on boosters? Uh, should we revise the definition of what it means to be fully vaccinated to include boosters? Should everybody get a third shot? 
This is a very, very complex situation. I think one of the things that we have to look at uh, at the whole population is that there's now no longer a full blanket statement that you can give, not only because of uh, the fact that uh, people have a very uh, differential risk to uh, severe COVID. So for example, an 85-year-old has a much higher chance of being hospitalized if unvaccinated uh, than say a 30-year-old, and that needs to be taken into account. We also have to remember that a great massive proportion of the population uh, not only is uh, protected with vaccine, but many have also been exposed to COVID, which also adds that added layer of of, uh, complexity. One thing I'll say that's important is that I think we need to change the way that we're presenting what the uh, vaccine is doing. So right now we keep talking about infection, so meaning getting the virus and then getting symptoms from it. The vast majority of people at this point are now getting something that's very mild, like, you know, upper respiratory tract, sore throat, maybe a fever for a couple of days, and they recover. Uh, And I think a lot of that is thanks to immunity in general, but also the fact that Omicron is milder. So when you think about that situation, that, you know, if you're saying that you're getting a 0% uh, efficacy from from the vaccine to preventing that, well, then that's not as important to me as now the fact that you are preventing somebody still very well with two doses or three doses from being hospitalized. And that's what's important, uh, the important outcome. So I'll give you an example. We stand right now in June 2022, not just over a year ago, uh, I was working in the hospital and we were routinely admitting 40 and 50 year olds who were going on ventilators, some dying. And now we're seeing multiple people who are mainly over the age of 85, multiple health conditions. When they come to the hospital, they're barely requiring oxygen. I've seen multiple 97-year-olds sent home from hospital. It's a very different disease now. And I think that this is why I think that calling somebody fully vaccinated with uh, three doses or two doses is not as important as somebody who's protected. I will say one thing to close this out, that the third dose of vaccine was very important for us uh, back in you know uh, December, especially for individuals who were um, older than the age of about 60 with multiple health conditions. That was very important. It was much less important for, say, a 30-year-old with two doses to get that third one. So I think to kind of tie this all in one one big bow is that it's complex. I don't think that it's uh, possible to give uh, a one-size-fits-all summary to everybody. Right. No, I, I agree. That's a great point. Just to uh, uh, just to follow up on that, when you said that last year you saw 40 and 50 year olds uh, hospitalized in the ICU, uh, were they uh, unvaccinated? Uh, and, and, and also, what kind of health issues that did they have? Did they have comorbidities? Did, were they obese? Uh, I've heard I've heard from other doctors that they've seen a lot of obese patients being admitted into the ICUs. Is that has that been your experience? I think that uh, at the time that many of these individuals were coming in, mm-hmm. the uh, vaccine wasn't actually available. So this was back. Uh, so the vaccine was out for healthcare workers right. and uh, elderly people. But mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these individuals that I saw were working in factories. So they often had very high amounts of exposure for prolonged periods of time. Uh, and yeah, uh, there were some that were healthy, but many did have kind of early diabetes, uh, centripetal obesity and, and just frank obesity as well. That, that's very important to note. Uh, but that said, even still, many of these individuals, if we saw them in the ICU for something else today, they do relatively well. So I think the, the fact that people have been vaccinated, the fact that uh, the variant is more mild, and the fact that, look, uh, many people have now also been exposed to the virus has all kind of made what we're seeing today very different than uh, compared to a year ago.
Right, exactly. So I want to turn to vaccine mandates. Um, you know, most countries in the world have dropped them, except Canada. Uh, many have realized that it's useless, essentially preventing transmission, especially when it's based on the two-dose series. Uh, and even if you were to include the booster dose, um, you know, I, I speak as someone who got the booster back in December, and then shortly after that, I got Omicron. Uh, so it's, this suggests that just because you have a booster doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting COVID. Um, so that begs the question, what purpose do the federal vaccine mandates serve at this point, uh, whether it's for travel or for the workplace? This is something that I've also had an issue with. And I think the answer is that I, there is not a clear medical reason. I think that when we first had the vaccine available and we were in the middle of the emergency phase of the pandemic, I can understand wanting to do uh, what you could to stop transmission. And at that point, assuming that the, the vaccine could do that, but it became evident, you know, I would say probably around May, June, July of 2021, that the vaccine, there was a significant amount of breakthrough infections. They were mild, thankfully, but the thing is people were still transmitting with uh, significant viral loads, even if vaccinated. So with this uh, information in mind, I think that uh, even with the third dose, maybe you get a bit of protection, but then afterwards you're transmitting again. I really think that we have to accept the fact the vaccine is not preventing transmission. It's awesome at preventing severe disease, but this now makes the mandate uh, something that doesn't have a lot of rationale, rationale to it. And I do think that it really needs to be lifted just as it has in most countries of the world. Right. And speaking of lifting mandates, uh, there's news now that Ontario will soon get rid of masks on public transit and in hospitals. I think the bit about hospitals really surprised me because if you believe that masks work, um, you know, you would want them in hospitals. Uh, and also, I think most countries around the world, as far as I am aware, have not re removed mask use in hospitals. So that came as a surprise to me. Uh, does this make sense to you? And more generally, what is your take on the usefulness of masks? given that the messaging on this has been incredibly murky right from the get-go when you've had well-known experts saying that masks are not really doing much for you and then they quickly change the tune, uh, uh, you know, a few months uh, from, from having said that. Um, so, you know, what do you, what do you think of masks and what do you think of the news from Ontario? I'll put this in, into two parts. So first of all, in the public aspect of it, I think that masks, uh, understandably, uh, have a, they've been a bit of a, a symbol for us, part of our pandemic uniform for the past two and a half years, at least until March the 21st uh, here in Ontario. So I think that uh, we have to realize the fact that I think that people, um, when you're really pushing the mask, in a way, you're undermining what's happening with the vaccine, which is doing amazingly to protect the vast majority of people, even those of us who are older, who are immune compromised, this vaccine is awesome at keeping people out of the hospital. So the mask at that point above that, I'm not really sure what it's adding. And when you look at the literature uh, with a less contagious virus, influenza before the pandemic, we saw that a mask mandate or at least a population masking is not preventing these things on a, on a population level in terms of the outcome that we care about the most, which is preventing severe disease. So I think um, in terms of things like public transport, uh, we now have a great amount of immunity on the ground. I think it is fine to lift that. The hospital is a little bit different. One thing we have to remember is just because the provincial mandate is lifted, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden hospitals are going to throw away masks. I think that we still have used them historically in uh, clinical settings, especially with uh, uh, febrile respiratory illnesses. 
I think that uh, it will be at some point okay to uh, lift masks in non-clinical areas. In the clinical areas, I suspect they're going to be there for a while longer until we go back to what we were before. But the point is, lifting the mandate does not mean that we're going to be throwing off masks in the hospital, and each hospital will have uh, its own infection control rules. And that's what I suspect will happen uh, uh, on Saturday once this is lifted. Yeah, I was struck by something you said that mask uh, mandates actually undermine the use of vaccines. It reminded me of something that I read uh, recently that China's pursuit of zero COVID has actually undermined the use of vaccines. So in a sense, I mean, you know, we were um, on the road to zero COVID, at least there were advocates of zero COVID. And uh, it's just ironic how these things play out, um, you know, when, when, when you think that, you know, they're well-intentioned, but, you know, ultimately uh, counterproductive if, you know, if you think that vaccines save lives. Absolutely. And I think yeah. that uh, something that uh, was important for me is that uh, I read this amazing line, I believe it was in an Atlantic article that talked about one of the things that we ended up doing was our strategy ended up becoming the goal. So if you think back to April 2020, our strategy to make sure that we don't overflow our hospitals, which is what our main concern was, was to try to keep community transmission low by, you know, masking, physical distancing and all that. The goal was to keep the hospital safe and uh, not full. And the thing is that what happened is over time, this morphed into us basically trying to stop all transmission, which is impossible with the respiratory virus, especially during the colder months when we're huddled inside. So I think that it's important for us to take a step back. What was our goal here is to keep people out of hospital, which we now do very well with the vaccine, to keep people from becoming extremely ill, which the vaccine does very well. But yeah, transmission, unfortunately, has been hard, especially with, uh, with Omicron to try to prevent. And at this point in time, if people are getting cold, which, you know, you get sick for a couple of days and you're better and you don't need to be hospitalized. Well, this happened to everybody before the pandemic. And I'm not sure why we're trying uh, with all our might to stop that because we can't. It's a normal part of living life and being with other people. Yeah. So um, just uh, turning to something that I find uh, very puzzling, and I think it's a very important issue, um, is why countries like Canada and the U.S. Um, don't recognize natural immunity, that is immunity you gain uh, from uh, recovering from an infection. Uh, we have ample evidence that shows that, um, you know, natural immunity in some cases is as good as being vaccinated. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I looked at my own, uh, I looked at this data from the Ministry of Health um, um, hospitalization, ICU admission data, and I just did some basic number crunching. And it also tallies with what Public Health Ontario has been saying in its regular surveillance reports, which is that as far as hospitalizations and ICU admissions go, there is no statistically significant difference between the unvaccinated and the vaccinated, especially when you're looking at the two-dose series can you help us understand what this data is telling us? It's important that uh, as time has gone on, uh, this has become a bit uh, fraught in terms of the calculation. One thing we have to remember is that the vaccine efficacy calculation is done as kind of like a comparison of the uh, people who are vaccinated versus those who are unvaccinated. The thing is, at the very beginning of the of uh, the pandemic, or at least when we were vaccinating people, let's say in December 2020, there was a substantial proportion of the population that had not yet been exposed to COVID. So when you're looking at vaccine protection uh, versus people who are unvaccinated, it was people who are still susceptible. But now a massive proportion of people have been exposed to COVID, even if they're unvaccinated. So all of a sudden, the, the, the two seem a lot closer together, and it seems like the vaccine isn't working as well, which is, which is obviously not true in keeping people out of hospital. But I completely do agree with you that when you are exposed to COVID, 
Uh, yes, there might be waiting protection against infection, but your protection against severe disease is just as good as with the vaccine. And in fact, we have multiple uh, studies that show this. Why this hasn't been recognized, I'm not entirely sure. I do think part of it was uh, wanting to get people vaccinated, not assuming that if you've been exposed that you shouldn't get vaccinated. Uh, it does make things complicated. So for example, uh, uh, if you've had two doses and gotten COVID, well, it's really hard if you, ha if you haven't been able to document that COVID uh, infection. So now is that person fully vaccinated or is that person now partially vaccinated? It's messy. You, you can see how that is. But I think you're right, though. The bottom line is that uh, if you've been exposed to COVID and recovered, you have very, very good protection against severe disease that's equal to, if not better than the vaccine. But I think that we need to now be looking at immunity rather than just uh, you know, a, a vaccination status. That's a that's a very important point, and uh, it's it's really uh, strange that we don't even address natural immunity. Uh, European countries, for example, will uh, you know take proof of recovery as uh, you know for you to board a plane or uh, or uh, board a train, um, and and so I don't know why we we don't really even uh, discuss this issue. And the messaging around vaccination and natural immunities has been very very confusing. We were told early on that everyone should get vaccinated. Um, so basically implying that vaccines will prevent you from getting COVID in a way that perhaps natural immunity would not. Um, do you think this early messaging, perhaps well-intentioned, was ultimately counterproductive? Or did it make sense that governments pushed vaccination uh, aggressively, uh, thereby implying that it was going to be vaccination or nothing? Yeah, this is an important uh, question for us to consider. And I think that obviously, uh, standing uh, almost a year after, more than a year after the vaccine campaign started, it's uh, easy to look through this in retrospect. And we should learn from this. I think at the time, it actually wasn't evident to us that the vaccine uh, wouldn't prevent you from getting infected. In fact, it seemed like that uh, within the first couple of months. Uh, and we assumed that the transmission would be the same. But we rapidly found out that that wasn't the case, even though thankfully, the protection against severe your disease, uh, two doses for young and healthy, and a third dose if you're older, has really proven to be quite robust. At the time, I think that governments really had to deal with the limited information they had at the time, and the fact that we were still in an emergency situation. But I think now taking it to June 2022, where we are right now, if we are going to make any population level uh, interventions or recommendations, it should be based on prospective randomized control trials uh, because we have the time to do them rather than kind of uh, just conjecture or expert opinion. Because I really do think that um, we, this is an excellent intervention, uh, the vaccinations, but if our goal is to you know, keep people out of the hospital, we're doing that very well right now. Things might change down the road, but we want to make sure we have evidence to, to make any uh, widespread uh, recommendations. So uh, finally, Suman, what is what is your message to Canadians? Um, should we continue to live in fear of COVID? Dr. Tam now says that we might be uh, heading into a seventh wave in the fall. What should we do? Are we supposed to live in fear perpetually? Um, is it time to treat COVID as endemic like the winter flu and just get on with our lives? I, I think that the, the latter, I think it's important for us to now realize that COVID is here, we can live with this safely. And I really wish people could see what I'm seeing on the clinical side, where it's a completely different disease than it was before. And if 97 year olds with multiple health conditions can uh, get better from COVID, 
I, I think that it it's, uh, bodes well for the rest of the population. I'm in no way saying that the COVID is gone. It's not. We're still dealing with it. But what I am saying is we are in a different phase of the pandemic. Uh, you mentioned Dr. Tam's announcement uh, recently, and uh, this is something that I am very uh, against, this idea of benchmarking every wave going forward. Of course, we're going to see more COVID activity in, in the uh, fall and the winter. That's what happens with respiratory viruses. But if every single time that happens and you're benchmarking it, it kind of gives people fear. Uh, then we all of a sudden start hearing recommendations of having outdoor gatherings. I think all of that stuff we need to move away from. We know if you want to keep uh, away from COVID and decrease the chance, we know what you can do. And I think people are free to do that. But going forward, I don't think we should be benchmarking waves. I don't think public health should be telling people what to do in, in their house. Uh, and look, when, when it comes time that we have evidence that uh, further boosters might help reduce severe disease, then we should put that out there. But I do think that we should now be living with this without living, with it, living in fear of it. Yeah, no, as I sarcastically referred to it on Twitter, I said, I predict we're going to be in the millionth wave of the flu next winter. And uh, yeah, absolutely right. And then there's this obsession with the wastewater signal and where we're uh, at in terms of the uh, levels of uh, COVID in the wastewater. And I can't think of any other country really, or maybe it's just an Ontario thing that is so obsessed with the next wave and wastewater signals. But I think I, I agree with you. It's time to move on and... Uh, and uh, and you know and 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 uh, you know and treat COVID as as is uh, you know it's going to be it's here to stay it's not going to go anywhere and uh, and get vaccinated and recognize natural immunity and I think those that's the way forward. Um, Suman, thank you so much for a great discussion. Um, you know we'll be looking to you for the common sense that cuts through all the fear mongering. Uh, thank you for joining me, and uh, it was so good to have you here. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So in conclusion, uh, full disclosure, I happen to be triple vaccinated and I find the vaccine mandates are completely useless at this point. They serve absolutely no purpose. They're punitive and they're not based on science, if they were even based on science before. Boosters make sense, in my opinion, for vulnerable groups. And this is borne out by the data, but not for the population in general. And many people now have natural immunity. So let's hope that the federal government gets the memo and drops the, these useless vaccine mandates so we can all get back to our lives as normal like in other countries. That's it for today's show. Thanks for tuning in. 